Guy goes to the doctor and says, Doc, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just don't seem to do anything anymore. I, I don't, I'm not dusting the house anymore. I'm not running the sweeper. I used to do that. I'm hardly doing the dishes. I'm not taking care of the yard, running the trimmer. I, he, in plain English, Lord, plain English, tell me what's wrong with me. And the doc says, well, you're lazy. And the guy says, okay, give me the medical term so I can tell my wife. Well, good morning and welcome. We're continuing our sermon series called Overcome. And today we're talking about overcoming apathy. And we're going to get deep into this word. It seems very simplistic. You think it's not getting up off the couch, but it's much deeper than that. I'm going to overdefine this term here at the beginning because I want us to get a grasp of how deep this really is and how real it is in the lives of many Christians. It starts with an ancient word called asadia. We, uh, this goes to the monks of the 4th century who are living in the desert in Egypt. They started to understand it. It's a complex term, lots of nuance. It's not really laziness or sloth, although it's related to those things. Let me give you an over-definition of what we're talking about today. It's a lack of caring. It's being in a stupor. Nothing makes me happy. Nothing makes me mad. Nothing motivates me to have any kind of reaction. It's a form of spiritual lethargy. There's no tears. There's no laughter. There's no passion. It's kind of a dullness. The term whatever would be perfect for those who are apathetic. It's a spiritual indifference, a lack of enthusiasm in your soul. There's a sense of melancholy. You, you no longer are excited or even interested in spiritual things. You don't marvel at the sacrifice of Christ. There's no deep gratefulness for what Jesus has done for you to rescue you from a horrible punishment. You no longer are in awe of God. It might sound like clinical depression, and it's not. If you are um, dealing with symptoms of clinical depression, get medical uh, attention immediately. This is important, and we want you to get the care that you need. One of the ways that uh, helps me understand a term is to understand the opposite of what it's not. So if you're not apathetic, if you're not dealing with a sadia, you are uh, having intense interest. You are on fire. There's electricity. There's a zeal. There's a passion. There's an enthusiasm. A couple of quotes to help us maybe better define this thing we're going after today to understand spiritual apathy or asadia. This is from a writer named Frederick Buchner. Asadia shows itself as one who just goes through the motion. He flies on automatic pilot. He lets things run their course and focuses on just getting through his life. This is from a Christian author named Dorothy Sayers. It is the sin that believes in nothing, cares for nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing. There's not a trumpet in our lives to call us to our feet. One more quote from a poet. This is kind of in poem form from Henry Fairley. It's children too idle to obey, parents too sluggish to command, pupils too lazy to work, teachers too indolent to teach, priests too slack to believe, prophets too morbid to inspire, men too indifferent to be men, women too heedless to be women, doctors too careless to care well, shop clerks too uninterested to be courteous, believers too dejected to bear witness. So at the top of your outline is a point before we get to the points because I thought this was an important thing to say and I couldn't really fit it into the order of my points so I forced it at the beginning. So let's talk about this, that we ought to be on guard. Not consuming holy things interestingly makes you lose your hunger. And what I mean by this is that on Thanksgiving you wake up and if you're like me, I haven't eaten dinner the night before because I want the belly to be nice and empty. So I wake up pretty hungry. I haven't eaten, but it makes me hungrier. I don't eat breakfast. I probably should. I don't eat lunch. And now I'm really hungry. Not eating makes me hungrier. And then when I stuff myself at Thanksgiving like I do, now I want nothing to do with food. Holy things are the exact opposite. 
when you don't feast on them, you don't get hungrier for them, you lose your appetite for them. If you don't feast on God's word, you don't starve for it. You're kind of like, yeah, I'm okay without it. When you don't come to Holy Communion, you're not passionate about the holy meal that you'll enjoy. It's kind of like, eh, I could do without it. Hearing the absolution, the pronouncement of the forgiveness of your sins. When you don't come to church and hear that, you're like, well, I'm good without it. When you don't come to church services on Sunday mornings and kind of do without it, maybe if you know, some of you know what I'm talking about. You take a couple weeks off. It's not like you're itching to come back. You kind of have to force yourself to come back. When you're not serving in fellowship with other believers, you lose your appetite for holy things. Our text for today is from the New Testament account according to St. Mark 12th chapter. We'll be very familiar with these words. Jesus says to us, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. In other words, loving God deeply naturally overcomes apathy or asadia because it connects us to him. We love him in a deep and exciting and rich and zealous and electric kind of way. So we'll spend the rest of our time this morning understanding what it means to love God this way. And move us by the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome apathy, to overcome asadia. Let's come together in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning with a feeling of sadness as some of us wrestle with spiritual ho-humness. Somehow enthusiasm and deep gratitude for your rescue has waned. Forgive us, Lord. Empower us by the power and truth of your word to be zealous for you, to be excited about you. Not manufactured enthusiasm, but a deep excitement over you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. My Lord, my rock and my redeemer, in Christ's name we pray and together we all say amen. A lot of what I'll talk about today is from an author named Sheila Allawine and a pastor that I listen to named Brian Wolfmuller. And let's talk about loving God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. First of all, it starts here. Love God with an unshared love. Loving God fully means we love him with an unshared love, and I'll spend a few minutes about talking about that. We get that right from the Old Testament as we number them. Hey, it's commandment number one, Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me. Do not split your affection between God and someone or something else. Loving God fully and completely means it's unshared. We're not dividing it up. Let me ask you some hard questions. You might get a little bit uncomfortable. We'll spend a little time in that this morning. If I were to ask you if you love anything more than God, I think your immediate answer would be no. I don't love anything more than God. Let me challenge you this morning. If God asks you to give up the Cleveland Browns, everything about them, you won't wear their jerseys anymore, you won't know who's on the team, you won't look at the schedule, you won't listen to talk radio about what's going on, to completely walk away, would you gladly say yes, Lord? Okay. How about the Guardians or the Cavs? How about the Buckeyes? I'm trying to make a point here, though. Would you really? Would you really? How about this? What if God asked you to give up your enthusiasm for your child's or your grandchild's passion, whatever it is, their academics, dance, cheer, any of their sports, karate, debate, band, robotics, would you gladly say, yes, Lord? I won't be involved in any of that anymore. I gladly walk away from it. If God wanted you to give up your guitars or music in general or your figurines or scrapbooking, your exercise pickleballers, uh, your book club, travel, or your hobbies, would you do it gladly? If God asks you to give up your possessions, your money, your property, if God asks you to give up your nails or your hair or your looks, if God asks you to give up your political passions, your candidate, your party, your political issue, would you gladly say, yes, Lord, I give all that up, I will have nothing to do with it? Because on some levels, God is asking you to do that. Now, some of those things we talked about are okay, they're good things, 
but not when they get in the way of God. They're not good if they've taken your affections and your devotion. If they're what you focus on, if they're what you think about, they've become idols. And they're what's important to you. And this idea of spiritual apathy, this idea of asadia begins to set in. One more tough, challenging statement for you this morning. I heard, heard this in a, in a message this week, actually, uh, from a pastor. He, he says, if you are still establishing the priorities of your life, if you are establishing the priorities of your life, can you really call yourself a Christ follower? That challenges me. God demands that he has our complete love, and that means our total attention, our total focus. Brief video to show you two players from the University of Oklahoma women's softball team. They won the double, NCAA championship. It's a fascinating press conference. The interviewer asks them, how do you guys keep your joy in the middle of an up-and-down season? I think you'll be quite amazed at their response. Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. Um, I think Coach has said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, um, uh, just in a good mindset, uh, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships, and all of that. So uh, I would, that's really the only, the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that um, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game can be. 1,000% agree with Grace Lyons. Um, I went through that my freshman year. I I was so happy to win the college. I've talked about this before, but I was just so happy that we won the College World Series, but I didn't feel joy. I didn't have, I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for that following week. I didn't feel filled, and I had to find Christ in that. And I think that is what makes our team so strong is that we're not afraid to lose because if it's not the end of the world if we do lose. Yes, obviously we've worked our butts off to be here and we want to win, but it's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ and that's all that matters. If you have any idea, and many of you do, what it takes to become that level of performance, whatever it is, you know the dedication and the sacrifice and the commitment and the focus that it takes to become that kind of athlete at that level. Yet these women knew that that's not what it was about. Their joy, their excitement, their enthusiasm, their zeal didn't come from winning softball games. It came from Christ, and I think they have it right there. The second thing we can think about when we love God well to overcome asadia, apathy, is to love God with a surpassing love. Now, this is related to point number one, but it's subtly and nuanced different a little bit. To love God with a surpassing love. Jesus teaches us, Matthew 10, 37 through 38, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now, this is a tough teaching because we love our family. And God is not saying don't love your family, don't love your... Actually, it's one of the commandments, right? Honor your father and mother. And he talks about love throughout the Bible. But what he's saying here is that your love for God must be greater than your love for any other person, any other thing, even for your own life. There's a tremendous help in uh, looking at it this way. Loving God more than your family or your own life will help you to love your family and yourself better, different, more deeply. And more help on this point from Pastor Tyler Edwards. When you love God first, as a priority, you belong to him and you're given his Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, you have access to the agape love of God, his divine, supernatural, unconditional love 
When we love God first, his agape love empowers us to love our spouse. Without it, the best we can do is to love our spouse when we feel like it, when they please us, or when it benefits us to do so. On our own, the best we can do is to offer, uh, is, can offer is conditional love. This is a love with limits, but with God, the love we show our spouse is fueled by God's perfect love. We get a New Testament um, example of this in a guy named Demas. We don't know much about Demas except what we read when Paul writes about him. He was somebody that was uh, hanging out with uh, Paul, and Paul writes about Demas in 2 Timothy 4. Demas, because he loved the world, because he loved the world, has deserted me, has gone on to Thessalonica. Demas did not have a surpassing love for God. A surpassing love for God focuses on him, his love, his grace, his mercy, and his goodness. Number three, as we talk about loving God deeply and overcoming apathy and this idea of asadia, love God with an obedient heart. Love God with an obedient heart. I'm always very hesitant to think about things like obedience, although the Bible speaks about them, and we'll, we'll see that in a minute, because this isn't a moral talk. This isn't you coming to church and the guy at the front tells you how to behave. Obey the rules. We are children of God through his finished work on the cross. What Jesus did for us buys us in. And now because we are his children, we want to be obedient. We want to live within his boundaries. Jesus says in John 14, 5, if you love me, keep my commands. Isn't that interesting? It has nothing to do, really to do with emotion, although there's a component of emotion and love for sure. Or, 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 or it's about living in obedience. Obedience to God's commands is evidence that we trust that he's telling the truth. Jesus teaches us again in John 15, 14, if you're my friends, you will do what I command. I believe there's help for people struggling with apathy, people struggling with uh, asadia, um, because obedience to what God has called us to do brings a closeness to him. And that automatically, as you think about it, kind of kills apathy, a, a closeness to God. Obedience shows your love for him. And maybe most importantly, when we fail in obedience... We throw ourselves on his grace, and the undeserved forgiveness draws us into a deep, deep gratitude, which is a remedy for apathy. When we have a deep, deep gratitude for God and what he's done for us, that drives out apathy. That drives away asadia. Uh, Pastor Paul Tripp, a little bit more on obedience. He said, obedience is a lifelong calling for followers of Christ, but your obedience is never a fearful payment. It's a hymn of gratitude to the God who met you where you were and did for you what you could not have done for yourself. Your obedience doesn't purchase God's love for you. Christ's blood is the only purchase that could do that. Rather, your obedience is a thankful expression that you understand the significance of God's love being placed on you. So today, humbly admit that you are more messed up than you think you are, and commit once more to a lifestyle of obedience, not because Jesus needs you to, but because you understand how much you need Jesus. Point number four is we love God with all that we are to overcome apathy, asadia, is to love God with an enduring love. An enduring love, a love that doesn't give up. The poster from the 70s, the cat holding on the, the, hang, uh, the line, just hang in there, baby. So not real biblical, but in many ways, actually it is. Perseverance. James 5.11. As you know, we count it as blessed those who have what? Persevered. Those who have endured. Those who have hung on. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. 
So five helpers on how to be perseverant. There's no room in your outline. I couldn't fit it, so write around the border or do it another way if these are important to you. To endure, to be perseverant, remember that Jesus is worth it. To be a God person is worth it. What he did for you is so valuable. Be reminded when the garbage of life tempts you to throw God away or make him less important. We use words around here at Royal Redeemer because words mean things. And we have something called our values. And you see them on the wall as you walked in there in the wall in the narthex. And it looks like this. It talks about who we are and what we are as believers. And then the very last line in cursive, it says, because it's worth it. Because we found treasure in God. We found a value that's beyond anything that the world offers. Persevere because God is worth it. Number two, expect the challenge of perseverance. Sometimes going into something knowing that it's going to be bumpy and rocky kind of helps you along. You know what I'm saying? If you thought life was going to be easy and it turns out to be hard, you'll be challenged. But if you know life is going to be pretty challenging, it helps you. How many, what's the longest flight anyone has ever been on? Go out, just shout the hours. Somebody say 40? Oh, 14. If 17. Yeah, so long flights. Uh, enduring a long flight, it helps you when you know how long it's going to be. I mean, it still stinks, right? They're still awful. But knowing it's going to be 17 hours helps you. If you get on a flight and you think it's going to be an hour and 15 minutes, and then they tell you it's going to be 17 hours, then you're crushed. But going, going into this flight, knowing it's going to be long, helps you go, okay, I, I just got to persevere. I got to walk around. I got to watch movies. I got to do all this stuff. Uh, number three, God is with you. When you're enduring, when you're persevering, remember that God is for you. He is with you. And actually, he's the one holding on to you. I like to think of the tra trapeze artists in this case. You know, at the circus, they fly from trapeze. And it's always the one who spins through the air that gets all the credit. It's never the, the catcher, as they call them. The man or the woman that's upside down, their legs are kind of laced with the things back and forth. And they're the one who grabs the spinning person. And that's who God is for us. We are spinning through life, kind of hoping to land it, and God grabs us. And he's the one who initiates the love. And he's the one who holds on to us by his strength. Remember that through the times that are bumpy in life, persevere because God has you. He's the one holding on to you. Hey, find support. Surround yourself with Christians who are speaking holy things, God things into your life, encouraging you. Find support when you're working to endure, working to persevere. And finally, keep, a, keep an eternal perspective. Be reminded that whatever it is that you're going through, this will, this will not last forever. There is an eternity that God is in control of, and a new heaven and a new earth is on the way that Jesus will reign over. Finally, number five, it's not really a point. It's more of an application, but I just thought it was so interesting when I learned about it. As we pray the Lord's Prayer, and we'll pray it a little bit later in the service, um, use it to train your heart to want godly things. I'll read through it from the Bible here in a moment. And it actually is a beautiful prayer, obviously. It's important. But in one way, it's a list of things that we ought to want. And, and here's what I mean. Matthew 6, Jesus teaches us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. So as we read through that, as we pray through that, the beginning part, let it train your heart that you want to keep his name holy, that you will work toward his kingdom on earth, that his will will be done, that we will look to him for all that we need, that we will celebrate the forgiveness that comes from him, that we will celebrate and desire to forgive others. That we, that we will desire to be released from temptation. That your heart will want to look for deliverance from the evil one. 
So this idea of spiritual apathy, this was a tricky one for me, this asadia, had a lot to do, do a lot of work because like I, I said, when I started, I thought it was just not getting up off the couch. Much deeper, and I have to be honest with you, it, it presses on me sometimes. Sometimes, I'm embarrassed to tell you as a pastor, sometimes it, it becomes a little less exciting than maybe it should be. And maybe that's you too, but there is help to overcome. And I think loving God deeply, as we learned this morning, being drawn by the Holy Spirit is a real way to overcome it. Some next things to think about. These are at the bottom of your worship folder, some next steps. Pray about these, that you might realign your affections to make God's will your only priority. Everything else that you thought was a priority is pushed aside. It is God, the triune God, and, and him alone. Number two, recommit by the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life of godly obedience and then be reminded that his commandments are for our good. This is what I teach religion class, 7th and 8th grade, right? God's commandments are not there to keep us from the fun stuff. It's to keep us away from the dangerous stuff. It's to keep us in the good lane, the place where we're with God and, and he's got us. And number three, let the Lord's Prayer train you to want godly things. As we pray that later this morning, maybe think those thoughts. Yes, I want to keep your name holy. I want your kingdom to, to come. And I want to be delivered out of temptation. Those types of things. Let's pray. Father, what an interesting subject, um, and we don't talk about things because they're interesting. We talk about things because they're of you. So for those that are apathetic, for those that deal with asadia, help. You will. You promise to. Let us love you well and deeply. We hear your word. That helps us. We'll receive your holy meal next week again. That will help us. We'll love each other well. That will help us. We'll hear the words of absolution, the reminder of the forgiveness of our sins. That helps us. Um, let us have a real zeal, a real enthusiasm, an awe, a deep gratefulness, a profound thankfulness for all you've done for us. To your glory, now and forever we pray, and together we all say, amen. Thanks for taking the time to learn a little bit more about Royal Redeemer. We want you to be a part of our Royal Redeemer family here. May God richly bless you and guide you, and I truly look forward to seeing you soon.